Hello, and thanks for joining us on this Wednesday, March 20th, 2019, six minutes past the hour. I'm Tom Temin. Our producers are Lauren Larson and Eric White, our digital editor, Amelia Brust. Coming up in this hour of the Federal Drive, this Arizona congressman has five bills, count them. He says we'll bring more government ethics and transparency. Plus, at the bottom of most federal management problems, you'll find the people, that is, human capital challenge. Those stories much more ahead during this hour of the Federal Drive. But first, it's probably not enough to help the military services dig out of tens of millions of dollars in backlogged building maintenance. But the Pentagon is finally putting some serious money toward facility upkeep. The 2020 budget includes billions of dollars in new funding for facility sustainment, restoration and modernization. But that follows several years of chronic underfunding. Federal News Network's Jared Serbu writes about all of this in this week's edition of the DOD Reporter's Notebook. And Jared joins me now with more. Well, first of all, Jared, is this money that the 2020 budget would pay back for building and construction that is being taken out of 2019 ostensibly for the border wall? There is some of that. We can get to the Milcon issue if, if you want to. But really, the increases that we're seeing in this year's budget are in a separate line item of the military services budget. It's called Facility Sustainment, Restoration, and Modernization, as you said, which is really about the upkeep of existing buildings. And that is where DOD's operations and maintenance funding, really since sequestration back in 2013, have really taken a serious hit. Year after year in the Pentagon's budgets, they have acknowledged that they are knowingly taking money out of those FS, FSRM funds to make money in, in in the O&M budget to fund things like flying hours and training because budgets were so squeezed. And so DOD has this thing called the uh, the facility condition index that rates uh, the condition of all, all of their buildings throughout the military services and also something called the facility sustainment model that tells it how much money it should be putting toward FSRM uh, in, in any given year in any given military service. The, the kind of low ebb of this was they were only funding those accounts at about 70% of what that model said it should be. And because of that, buildings have been falling in, into you know, continuing to deteriorate. More and more facilities have been falling into a poor or failing condition, and it's just been an intractable problem over the years. What's happening this year is they're getting up to, the, the OSD told the military services to budget for about the 85% level, which gets them very close to what DOD says they should be spending, which is 90% of that facility sustainment model. So it is big money. The, the Air Force, for example, has a 46% increase in its 2020 budget compared to 2019. They were starting from a lower starting point than the other services, but still a very big increase up to $4.1 billion in the case of that service. So it, it, it should help, sure. as you said, in the lead in. It's 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 not going to dig out of the massive backlogs that they already have, but it should hopefully keep things from getting much worse in the near term. Well, you wonder what good is having a super duper fleet and nice shiny aircraft if you're going to pull them into docks and hangars that are falling down. It's like buying a new Maserati and putting it in a rotten old garage that could collapse on it. And that's a really good point. I think one of the reasons that you're seeing more money being put into FSRM this year is exactly that. They're coming to realize this is not just an issue of people are going to have to work in lower quality facilities. It's also a readiness issue at this point, because if you don't have enough, as you said, hangars that can suitably house an aircraft, then you can't do your mission. And and that's one of the ways in which, going back to the Air Force, they're kind of shifting their FSRM strategy for 2020. The old plan had kind of been, 
let's fix the worst stuff first and put our money, uh, prioritize our money on the things that are that are in the worst condition and deteriorating the most seriously. And this year they've they've kind of pivoted to a new strategy that says, okay, we're going to focus our attention on the things that have the most mission impact that are, are the biggest detriments to military readiness. And, and that's kind of logical if you think about it. If you're not funding your FSRM accounts to the level that, that you need to keep things in good repair, then that's kind of a losing battle. It's kind of like walking up uh, up the wrong way of an escalator. You're, you're, you're never going to make progress against the problem until you have enough money to actually get, get to that 90% level that we talked about earlier. We're speaking with Federal News Network's Jared Serbu. Now, recently, Adam Smith, chairman of the House Armed Services Committee, said at a conference that he would go along, he felt Democrats would go along with a fairly large budget of $733 billion top line versus the administration's 750 top line. Is all of this part of that and does this have congressional backing to do some of this backlog of work on the facilities? Yeah, I would say historically Congress has pretty much gone along with what the military services have proposed for their facilities budgets, um, you know, so you could say Congress is complicit, complicit in a way in building this backlog, but they've been fairly deferential to the levels that, that DOD has proposed. I don't think anybody's happy about the fact that facilities are falling into disrepair, but I would expect that they would allocate, that, that they would appropriate at about the levels that, that, that DOD has proposed here. And I guess that implies that influential appropriators have faith that the military has a good handle on what it actually needs to do with all that money. Yeah, I think that's right. And, it, it, you know, it also it also points to another problem here, which is that there's not a huge political constituency for keeping your buildings in good shape. I mean, obviously, it has long term consequences and it's very wasteful over the long term if, if things fall into such bad shape that the only real practical solution is to demolish them and, and start all over again, um, which gets to the to the military construction issue, which does have a strong political constituency. But yeah, that is one reason why Congress has not seen fit to go above and beyond the levels the DOD has proposed in its budgets. And what is the latest on that Milcon budget? Is it being diverted for the wall? And will Congress go along with replenishing it from the OCO next year? Uh, that's yeah. It's a it's a fairly amazing proposal from DOD, but that's but mostly just rhetorical. Fill, but yeah, yeah, no, I know. Uh, just to fill people in on what we're talking about, what the issue is here is that as as part of his emergency declaration, the president has proposed taking up to three point six billion dollars out of twenty nineteen military construction funding, and putting that towards some sort of bear, uh, border barrier construction. And then the DOD proposal is to come back in 2020, backfill that $3.6 billion with 2020 money um, and, and and just slip a bunch of the, the actual military construction projects that were planned for this year to the right so that they would be done next year. It's pretty hard to imagine that that Congress, having just refused to allocate funds to the border wall, is going to go along with this very explicit backdoor approach to doing exactly the same thing. Beyond that, there's another $3.6 billion in the 2020 Milcon budget that DOD is setting aside just in case the president uses his emergency authority again next year to do something similar because they don't want to wind up back in a situation where they're having to take money away from projects, actual Milcon projects that they've, they've planned to fund. I guess we should call it 20 funny money instead of 2020 money, the way things there are shaping up there. And while we have you, you're also writing about the hiring of cyber accepted service members. 
This was testimony from General Paul Nakasone of Cyber Command. What's the latest there? Yeah, I think this is a little bit of a good news, bad news story. The, the good news is one of the reasons that they set up the Cyber Accepted Service in the first place, which is a completely alternate personnel system for people who work in cyber fields and even non-cyber fields, if you just happen to work at a cyber-focused agency or portion of the Defense Department, part of the, part of the point was to accelerate hiring, to make federal jobs in these fields more competitive, more attractive to people with cyber skills. And it really has done that, uh, according to testimony from Nakasone that you mentioned. Prior to the adoption of CES, they were at about 111 days average time to hire at U.S. Cyber Command. They've got it down to about 44 days now, which isn't great, but it's much better and it's actually very good in, in, you know, in the context of the overall federal civilian hiring process. So that's the good news. The bad news, I think, is they have been extremely slow to roll this new personnel system out. Is, is just you know, going back a couple years, the plan was to expand this to about 5,000 employees or 5,000 positions, really, across the Defense Department over the next couple of years. And that was just you know, kind of the pilot approach. They've still only converted about 400 positions, and we're three years into the implementation of this program. One of the one of the reasons Pentagon officials explain that that things have been slow to take hold is that they just have not put enough policy development and implementation staff in the Pentagon to to roll out cyber accepted service. There's only about five full time people working on this. They've just added two more, which doesn't seem like a lot, but they're hopeful that that can help uh, pick up the pace just a little bit as they continue to roll this out to not just Cybercom in the DoD CIO's office, but eventually all the military services as well. Federal News Network's Jared Serbu, thanks so much. Thanks, Tom. Check out his notebook now online at federalnewsnetwork.com. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, Think twice before sending money through an app or online. 